Welcome to the Creating Conscious Relationships podcast with your host, Janelle Annette. On this podcast, you're going to be receiving my best teachings, tools, and practices so that you can create a conscious relationship from the inside out. So no matter your relationship status, you're going to find everything you need here to help your relationships thrive, including the one with yourself. Hello friend, welcome back for another episode on creating conscious relationships. Today we are talking about emotional maturity and how to actually achieve that. So just as a little overview for the episode today, we're going to be diving into what is emotional maturity and what are some signs of both emotional immaturity and maturity. We'll talk about why some people are more emotionally immature than others, why having a broad emotional range and maturity is so important, how life is different with a healthy relationship to your emotions, and finally, how to actually mature emotionally and what are some tools and practices that go alongside that. And before we get into it, you know what's next. We're talking about alchemy. We are beginning another round in March, and there probably won't be another round after that for a while, just as I'm working on a lot of things in the behind the scenes. So if you have been thinking about it, this is your invitation. And if you haven't heard me talk about it yet, or maybe you're brand new to this podcast, Alchemy is my relationship healing program for women who identify as either having anxious or avoidant attachment or both, really any insecure attachment style, and you're wanting to develop your ability to be in healthy relationships and create conscious relationships. So you could be single and join this program and work on healing your patterns, especially if you notice you have a pattern of, let's say, attracting emotional unavailable partners. That's a big theme that we look at. And you could also be in a relationship or perhaps have different patterns in your past. Um, So you'll develop both the skills to heal relationship patterns, as well as work on the issues and conflicts and dynamics that you likely see reoccurring in your romantic relationship. So again, you can be single or in partnership. Either way, what it all comes down to is your relationship with yourself. And we begin to understand how that impacts every relationship around you, which is really empowering and beautiful, right? Because that means you actually have an ability to do something about it. It's not up to just the randomness of the world. And sure, the randomness of the world and the people you encounter will impact you and will play into your relationship roles, but you are attracted to certain kinds of people for a reason. And when you figure out that reason, you then begin to be more empowered to be able to make change happen. So you recognize your own contribution to whatever is working and not working in your life and in your relationships, which means you can actually do something about it. So that's what we are doing in Alchemy. And why it works is that we're not just talking about our patterns, we're uncovering what is underneath the patterns, what actually drives those patterns on a deep unconscious level, as well as what to do about it. So a lot of women, when they begin working with me, they're at this point in their healing journey where they've begun to see some of their patterns and perhaps they even know where those patterns originated from. They've done some exploring, maybe read some books on it, but they're like, what do I actually do with this information? And I feel like I get to a certain point where I'm seeing myself do something that's maybe not so great or I don't want to be doing, yet I can't seem to stop. So that's where we dive into nervous system work as well as pattern work and shadow work and a combination of honestly just a lot of really impactful methods that you will not come across frequently to be able to make true lasting change happen. 
And something that I make sure that everyone gets when they're working with me inside of Alchemy is tools that are personalized to them. Like what is something that you can do in the moment before you further that pattern, right? And so you'll begin to really see your patterns from a complex lens and also have tools and practices to counteract the things that are not working. And if you're not really sure exactly what your patterns are, that's okay too. We will do lots of exercises to uncover and map and understand what's really going on for you. And then of course, what to actually do about it. And the beautiful thing about this program is it's not just a three-month-long program and then that's it. It's a three-month-long program and then you're actually going to see yourself in a very different light and the world in a very different light. And I like to say it's awareness that you can't turn off. So you're essentially going to be deepening in self-understanding and applying all of these principles and tools for life. It's a lifelong journey and it will change the way that you show up on a day-to-day basis and in your relationships. So you ultimately get to become your own guide and your own healer because you know yourself best. And really it's just about having the right tools, practices, and understandings to unlock that within yourself, which is what I really make sure happens for you inside of Alchemy. And I have a special deal for all of my podcast listeners. So if you message me on Instagram, podcast alchemy deal, you will qualify for $250 off the price for enrollment. And when you send that message, you're not required to join by any means. I'll just be able to give you more information. I'll ask you a little bit about yourself and I'll make sure that alchemy is really right for you before I send you an invitation to join. So it's a no strings attached thing. You can just send it to me. That means you'll qualify for the $250 discount. And that is only available for the March, 2023 round. And then I'll be able to just ask you some questions, like I said, and go from there. Okay. So let's get into the episode where we are diving into emotional maturity and emotional range. And I'll explain what that what that is. So emotional maturity is simply being able to understand and process your emotions without those emotions taking over and as well as understand other people's emotions and really just be able to work with people in a healthy, integrated way. An emotional range, which we'll talk about more later in the episode, is the ability to feel and experience all emotions across the entire range, not just one or two. And what we'll find is that most people are really stuck or looped into certain emotional experiences, which cuts them off from the full range of life and being able to make behaviors from a a total state. And I'll go a little bit more into emotional range later in the episode. Let's start with signs of emotional immaturity first. So the first one is when emotions are arising, the tendency to want to blame other people for what you're feeling. So right, that classic statement of you made me feel blank, right? When we really believe that our emotional reality is an external thing and we don't have ownership for what is ours. Now that doesn't mean that other people are not obviously playing a part in what you feel. Of course, that's true. But really seeing your emotions as something that's within you and not because of what the world does around you. The next one is seeing your emotions as ultimate truth. So if you have an emotional reaction or response, are you able to kind of step outside of it and see it for what it is? Or does it consume you as this is 
your ultimate reality and you can't seem to have a broader perspective, right? So emotional immaturity or folks that struggle with emotional maturity might have a hard time separating truth and what's actually happening from their emotional experience. The next one is numbing your feelings with substances or perhaps just certain behaviors that separate you from your emotions. And most people do this to an extent. And I believe that some numbing and moderation, like let's say you need to just get your mind off a feeling and watch some Netflix or, you know, spend some time with a friend and just try to laugh and get through it. It can be totally healthy. But if we're resorting to things that completely numb or cut you off from your feelings, especially from a chronic space, that's a sign of emotional immaturity. The next one is gossiping rather than having direct conversations with people, which again, it it might feel safer for somebody that's not fully connected or regulated in their feelings to talk about somebody behind their back. They might feel angry or frustrated about something and that's safer than actually going ahead and having a direct conversation with that person, which could bring up a lot of feelings that that person isn't necessarily ready to deal with. The next one is really needing to go to people at all times, every time you're having an emotional experience to get help dealing with it. And let me just say as a disclaimer, I'm not saying that going to other people and getting support emotionally is a bad thing, but if that's a a constant need if you could never actually move through or process anything on your own. Maybe you're always looking for advice or people to help you get through it um, and kind of circulating around something rather than being able just to feel your feelings in your own space and, and manage that. And lastly is an unconscious or perhaps you're slightly conscious of it desire to be saved. And this is a really big one that I think a lot of people can have to a certain degree. And that's, this thing that comes from our childhood where we once had these caregivers to take care of our absolute every need and there might still be a part of us that hasn't fully matured from that right there's still that I want to be taken care of I want my needs to be met for me I don't want to have to be responsible and I don't want to have to deal with these things on my own so again we can all have those moments we can all revert to emotional immaturity. And I'm not bringing you this list if you identify with a lot of those things to make you feel bad or like you're inherently wrong. It just might be helpful to identify some common themes that indicate there can be a little bit of work to do on our emotions to be able to just live happier, more full, connected lives, right? So coming back to that point of the desire to be saved, this is so common. And I really believe once we admit that this might be at the like underneath a lot of our patterns, we can create a lot of freedom because then we say, okay, I've been trying to externalize my ability to show up for myself or get something done. And ultimately that never really works. So here I am seeing that I am the only one that's responsible for my own life. um, And I'm going to be able to make something of that and make change from that place. Now, I'm not saying to be emotionally mature, you need to be completely independent and never rely on anybody and just always be taking care of your own shit. I don't think that's true. You know, if we go to hyper-independence, that can also be a mechanism of something from our past where it doesn't feel like, you know, we were, it was safe to rely on people. So that's a whole other thing. And what we'll talk about when it comes to emotional maturity is that it's a very balanced approach. So let's get into some signs of emotional maturity. So the first one is being able to respond rather than react. So when something happens that brings up emotions, you're able to feel your emotions and process them and be aware of what's happening before you get thrown into a spontaneous reaction. And of course, again, these are all 
This is all a range. There might be something really shocking or startling or frightening. And even if you are an emotionally mature person, it's just not realistic that you're going to be able to, you know, perfectly respond and not get reactive. So again, these are just some guidelines and some indicators. And I really do believe we all have the capacity to sway between our mature states and our immature states. The next sign of emotional maturity is being able to work with your body and actually feel your emotions from a body place, right? Or from a body state rather than from the mind. A lot of people just try to think about what they're feeling and what happened and why do they feel that way and what's going on and what am I going to do in the future and what if this, (sighs) rather than just what's going on in my body. How does this emotion show up in my body as as a sensation? Is it heavy? Is it hot? Is it tingly, swirly, cold, is there pressure? A lot of people don't have the skill sets around somatic practices to be able to do that. But once we are able to just feel our emotions as purely, you know, temporary sensory states in our body, then we're able to let them go much more fluidly rather than getting hooked and caught into certain emotional experiences, which ultimately drives a lot of our patterns. So if you have things that you feel really stuck in, It could be that there's a bit of emotional blockages going on, right? Because we make choices from our emotional states. We are very much emotional. um, I I can't remember the stat, but there's, it's like 90% of our decision-making is emotional. So we really have to understand that connecting to your emotions is probably one of the most important things that we can do to be able to choose more effectively and ultimately change some of the sticky patterns and ways of being that might be disempowering us. The next sign of emotional maturity is being able to read or understand the signals of your emotions. So we'll talk about, let's say, anger and sadness. For anger, it could be showing you that there needs to be a boundary set or more communication that's had, right? Something that happened that upset you. Um, So yeah, and when we feel our, our anger, that also empowers us to set boundaries more fluidly. So emotional maturity allows you to actually respond from that that emotion that you're feeling and do the right action, right, in accordance with it. And sometimes maybe you're just angry at something that happened and there's no boundary to set and that's fine. But again, if there's like chronic anger or chronic frustrations happening in a situation, then that's a signal, that's a sign not just to be ignored. And then with sadness, you know, it's, it's again, it's an indication of a need of something that's, you know, usually a, a need that's gone unmet. So it can really help us to soften into our emotional body and into connection with other people and into, again, communication to say like, hey, you know, I realize that I'm, I'm a bit sad because I'm feeling hurt or I'm feeling not considered or this, right? And that's not saying you did that. It's not saying the other person is responsible, right? I'm coming into ownership of our emotions. I'm noticing I'm feeling sad when that happened because it made me feel like you didn't care about me. And I know that that's my emotional experience. And that's not necessarily truth, but I wanted to let you know that. And, you know, maybe then you come up with a, a way to, let's say in this example, it's your partner, for your partner to help you feel more soothed in that emotional need as well, right? Or perhaps something just needs to change in your relationship. So if you notice what I just did in that example, when we're sharing our emotions with other people from an integrated state, we can name what we're feeling, what maybe meaning we're creating in our mind or what's happening or why without saying it's all your fault. It's all your fault. Because when we tell somebody it's all their fault, 
immediately what happens, walls go up, defensiveness happens, and there's no more connection, right? Versus being able to say, this is my emotional experience. This is what's happening for me. And this is what's mine. Here's what I'm working on within myself. And here's what I need more of from you. So people are going to respond much more openly and, you know, willing when you present to them something that you're feeling and experiencing from a place of ownership rather than blame. That's a really important thing when we work on developing our emotional maturity, right? So we can really see how this shows up in relationships. Another sign of emotional maturity is just being able to feel that full spectrum of our emotions. And we'll go through a little exercise a little later on that's going to help you identify which emotions you might be a bit disconnected from so you can understand where maybe you'd like to develop a little bit more, um, right? So maybe that's reconnecting to your anger, your sadness, or perhaps even joy, right? Some people might have a hard time connecting with joy. So really understanding where are you limited and what can you step more into? And again, like I said, it's that all of these emotions serve a purpose, not only for our, our own inner connection, but as well as the behaviors and choices that we make and the connection that we can create in relationships. So being able to have that full range really allows allows us to move through life so much more fluidly and open. And lastly, a sign of emotional maturity is independence. And it's not hyper-independence, right? So there's a balance. It's independence saying, I've got me. I know how to take care of myself. I know how to process my emotions and care for myself. But I can also let other people in. I can let other people see me in my hurt, in my frustration, in my needs. And I can I can depend on other people to a healthy degree. So it's this this dynamic balance between independence and depending on other people, but knowing that at the bottom line, you've got you. And what an incredible gift that is to say, no matter what happens, I've got me, right? And as humans, we're social creatures and we want to stay connected to other people and we need that. But if we also know while we're navigating relationships that you know we've got ourselves, then we can show up to relationships so much more stable and open-hearted and trusting and willing to take that risk of even loving deeper because we know at the end of the day, if something were to happen, we know how to show up for ourselves and tend to ourselves. So it actually usually can make the love between you and other people deeper just to know that you also can show up for yourself in times of need. And for folks with anxious attachment, this is a really big thing to work on, right? It's coming back to that center and not necessarily always leaning towards a partner to try to soothe your emotional experience or get an answer or whatever it might be, right? So being able to come back to your center, being able to tend to yourself and then, of course, still depend on your partner for certain things just from a more balanced, integrated place. So next, let's talk about why some people might struggle with emotional maturity more than others. And if you've been identifying with a lot of the things that I've said around emotional immaturity, then it's really important that you take a compassionate lens, which is what we're going to talk about in a moment, because feeling bad or guilty or wrong or shameful about these tendencies is not actually going to help you grow or move through anything, right? And what we'll come to see is that there's usually these perfectly good reasons for why some people might not have developed as much as others in these categories and that's okay it's not meaning there's anything wrong or broken within you it's just again we all have different areas of our development that we can expand into and you know also societally we don't necessarily embrace emotions right there's still 
in a lot of places, this narrative that sadness is somehow weak and don't show it to other people and don't be vulnerable. And that's something, you know, I really hope to change and I hope is changing and I think it is. But it's really important to understand that also from, yeah, like I said, a societal lens, there just hasn't been that much conversation to support people or tools to support people in developing their emotional maturity. So, you know, we can start by just finding a lot of compassion for that. And also, if you're here listening to this, willing to see maybe where you could do some growing and willing to look at yourself, like such a, that's such a beautiful thing and such a gift and takes a lot of courage to own. So, just want to celebrate you for that if that is how you're feeling. So some reasons behind emotional immaturity. The first might be just even being raised by emotionally immature parents, right? Maybe there was lack of emotional boundaries. Maybe one person started feeling one thing, right? Let's say maybe you started feeling anger and you didn't have adults that were able to hold your anger and and react from a calm state. Maybe they got very angry and reactive back and there was just no boundary between what is my emotion and what's theirs. And we'll talk a little bit more about some examples of things that might have shown up in different households to help you understand this more um, just in a little bit. So the next is dysregulation in the nervous system, right? So some folks are living in a fairly constant state of activation in their nervous system, right? Like really looking for threats and responding in the ways that they were taught how, right? So maybe that's fighting, you know, running away, freezing, all of the classic nervous system responses. So when you're in that state of dysregulation, then you're not really able to have a calm, grounded Um, approach to your emotions because they're probably activating really deep survival mechanisms within you that you learned a long time ago. The next is just being unaware of your mind or your shadow, your projections, right? So not fully understanding how other people are a mirror into you, right? If something somebody's doing really frustrates you and makes you really angry and pisses you off, maybe they're just crossing a boundary and that's that, but perhaps there's actually something going on where that person is reflecting back to you a part of yourself that is a little bit hard to look at. So emotional maturity requires that you're able to recognize your own projections in your mind and separate what's mine to work on versus what's just a boundary and something I'm not okay with, right? And that might take some exploration and will depend on each situation. But if you're unaware of your mind, your shadow, and your projections, then it's going to be impossible to separate whether it's a boundary or something that you might need to look at or move through within yourself. And lastly, I've mentioned this a few times, but again, being stuck in one or two emotions because you learnt certain things about different emotions. So I'm going to talk about anger and sadness because these are the main ones that people might feel um, stuck in or blocked. But again, like I mentioned earlier, joy might be up there as well for you. But you know, anger and sadness just tend to be quite polarizing emotions and dictate a lot of things for us. So starting with anger, you might have a relationship with anger where you go more fully into anger, like that might be the quick response, or you don't allow yourself to feel angry often. And I talk a lot about anger in this podcast because I think it's something for a lot of women that they're fairly cut off from. It's not always the case, but it does happen. But those who go more towards anger usually go towards anger because it helps them feel safe. It's more of a defense. Whereas sadness might feel too vulnerable. 
So you're either going to be more connected to it or less. And the reasons why might be that if there was a lot of conflict in your in your household, um, you could have these ideas that anger is bad. If it created a lot of tension or, or stress or disconnection, then you might have really pushed that down within yourself saying, I don't want this experience and anger is bad and I need to reject and disown it. Or perhaps that's a way that you learn to fight and to keep yourself safe was to, you know, respond with fire to fire. And, and that's how you kind of grew up navigating relationships. So again, depending on what was modeled for you around anger growing up could determine either, but at the bottom line, you're just going to know if you feel anger um, frequently or not in your adult life. And then you could kind of trace the steps back from there. Next, we have sadness. So if you are kind of on the other end of the spectrum, you might find yourself going towards sadness right away. So maybe things happen that make you even feel a bit angry. And if you learned that's not a safe emotion, you might default over to sadness instead. Or right on the other hand, like I was saying earlier, maybe you don't feel safe being sad because that seems too vulnerable. So you kind of hop over to anger. But we'll talk about what might influence your relationship to sadness growing up in your home. So if you, let's say, grew up in a home where sadness wasn't very welcomed, like a sadness phobic home, we'll call it, it might have looked like you being told not to cry, right? And somebody trying to attempt to soothe you and tells you, don't cry, it's okay, you're going to be okay, you're, you know, don't be sad. Or just simply not even seeing your parents express sadness or being told that you were too sensitive or perhaps even just being rewarded for being strong or you know being praised when you didn't cry, right? And another common one is just needing to retreat every time you felt sad. Like you didn't feel safe being seen in your sadness, you would go to your room or or what have you. So again, you could maybe resonate with those things and still be connected to your sadness, but maybe there's some shame in feeling sadness when you do feel it. Or perhaps you've shut sadness down, right? So there's all these different manifestations on it, but just some kind of identifiers for why your sadness, your relationship to sadness may have developed in the ways that it did. And the importance of sadness, you know, I talked about anger, but the importance of sadness is it's it's usually quite parallel to how much we can open to other people and feel and connect and I really believe that the more we allow ourselves to feel challenging emotions like anger and sadness, the more we embrace the all of the other emotions like joy and, and love and, and everything else. Like when we just allow ourselves to be more full and to feel and to not feel so afraid of our emotions, we can access just so much more depth in life. Right? And sadness can do so much. It can motivate creativity. It can allow us to understand other people better and be more empathetic. Right? It can let people see us in a vulnerable state that says, I trust you and I'm willing to open up to you. So we can see how important all of these emotions are. And of course, I'm not saying we get stuck in or we want to wallow in certain emotions, but we want to just be able to access and feel all of these different emotions in a healthy and fluid way. And some people might have even shut off their sadness and they might fear feeling sadness because they're like, if I go into this, it's just an infinite well. I'm just going to become stuck in it. So if you're a person who feels like you have, are, are afraid of getting stuck in certain emotional states, that could also be an indication that more work on your emotional range is really important. And again, being able to feel your feelings from a somatic place, not from a mental place. Because if we feel our feelings through our body, 
it doesn't actually have a very long life. Our emotions actually pass rather quickly. It's more when we get looped into meaning making in our mind that furthers that emotional experience that we get stuck in it. Okay. So I really want to highlight that difference between feeling your emotions in your body and feeling your emotions in your mind. And think about this for a second. Think about how many things in life you might fear and how much you would say fear holds you back. Now, I really believe a lot of the time when we're feeling fear, we're actually just fearing feeling an emotion, right? If we avoid risk, we're actually usually risking feeling something uncomfortable. So if we were able to feel all of our emotions and not feel so terrified of doing so, How much more would you be able to do in life? How many more risks could you take? How much more could you open your heart to people, right? How much more would you be able to do if you didn't fear feeling any of your feelings and you knew that emotions were temporary and you knew you had the tools and the skills to move through emotions without letting it dictate your life or take you down, If you're like, oh yeah, I know how to feel my sadness. I know how to grieve. I know how to ride that wave without getting stuck in it then what might be accessible to you, right? So think about that next time you're fearing something in life. You're fearing failure, you're fearing looking silly, or you're fearing being left behind, right? Of course, these are all valid fears, but ultimately, if we really peel back the layers of that, as long as your physical health isn't being threatened, then ultimately, it's usually just our feelings that we're really avoiding. And even in relationships, like we can have way more open, honest, vulnerable conversations that will, you know, be make or break conversations for sure. But that's important if we're able to feel all of our emotions, right? So we're going to have a lot more authentic relationships too. And just also make more authentic choices in life when you can ultimately feel all of your feelings, because you're not making choices out of avoiding a certain state, right? You're just making choices that are ultimately right and true for you and being truthful in relationships regardless of the potential outcomes, right? So let's move through a brief exploration of this so you can self-apply. If you're sitting at home hanging out, you could even get a journal and kind of like pause and play this this episode as you go, or perhaps you can just think about it in your mind. But start off by just exploring which emotions do you not often allow yourself to feel. And we'll just talk about the really simplistic emotions of joy, anger, sadness, peaceful, and powerful. So out of those states, which one or two do you not find yourself feeling very often? And you can ask yourself, what do I default to instead? So if one of these emotions come up, do I default to another emotional experience or do I perhaps default to a certain behavior that helps me get out of that that state that I'm not necessarily comfortable in? And once you have that answer, begin paying attention to this everywhere in your life. So next time that emotion or those emotions that you're not connected to come up or arise or something happens. And if you can mentally catch that moment, it's a very important moment. If you can catch it, 
where you might find yourself wanting to default out of it, try to give yourself a moment to express that emotion. So what do I mean? Maybe if you're in public, you just simply want to close your eyes, take a few deep breaths and scan your body and experience what that might be like on a sensation basis and treat it as a meditation. You don't need to add thought. Or if you're in privacy, try expressing what that emotion would look like. So if it's anger, maybe squeezing your, your fists and like shaking around a little bit or stomping your feet. Or maybe if you want to yell into a pillow, right? So just start small and see how these things feel. Or if it's sadness, maybe you want to curl up into a ball and um, let yourself just be in that for a moment or two before you want to run from it, okay? And I'm not saying you can't then default later. I think when we're talking about When we're talking about making change possible, it is important that we start with these small incremental shifts. So instead of just saying, okay, I'm just going to, I avoid my sadness, then I'm going to let myself feel sad and go into a ball. And so it's not saying if you're somebody who avoids their sadness that you're just going to be able to suddenly be in it for two hours, but let yourself feel that for as long as you can be with it before you maybe default to something else. And eventually over time, that window will expand or you won't just feel so afraid of feeling that feeling. And perhaps you won't even need to default towards something at a certain point. And that's the goal. But just starting with giving yourself a few moments to feel that emotion before you step away from it. And again, over time, increasing your capacity to do so. And the somatic work is a really important thing here is that we, again, are just trying to feel those feelings through the body and not through the mind and allow them to express, allow them to have a completion cycle through our body. And if you're like, I kind of understand how this would be done, but I'm not totally sure. Or if really you just want help going deeper into any of these themes, like emotional range is a big one, beliefs, behaviors, everything, how this shows up in relationship, like all of that we cover in depth in alchemy. So if this really resonated with you, this episode, and perhaps you're really wanting to work on developing your emotional maturity, then alchemy is going to really support you in, again, understanding all of the drivers behind your patterns and your choices, your beliefs, as well as your emotional experience and what do we actually do with that instead? How how can we equip you as an individual with the right tools and practices and understandings to be able to feel more fluidly and have vulnerable conversations and set boundaries and just be authentic in the moment and stop being so afraid of what people think of you and all these really important things that ultimately come from within. So that's what we're doing in alchemy and honestly so much more. It's hard to encapsulate the depth because it's just a lot and it's three months. So you're going to get a really supportive, personalized, deep dive into the heart of your patterns and into relationship, health, and well-being, and ultimately learn how to create a conscious relationship with yourself and others. So that's the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed and received a lot from this episode. If you did, please leave a rating and review. It really supports me and the podcast. And if you have questions or comments or just want to share anything you learned from this episode, I absolutely love connecting with each of you and hearing about it. So feel free to reach out to me on Instagram and you'll find my handle in the show notes below and we'll go from there. All right, that's everything for today. I'm sending you a lot of love. Be well, and we'll see you on the next episode.